0: Witness protection can't erase his past. This is Nailgun Messiah, the first book in the Micah Reed series. One novel, read to you a chapter at a time. Join us each week for a new installment of the story, and get the book at jimheskett.com forward slash Podcast. And now, the host and author, Jim Heskett. Oh yeah, it's time for a little bit more of that Nailgun Messiah podcast. And I mean, you're you, I'm Jim, you are... I don't, I don't really know who you are. I mean, I know how many of you listen, but I don't know who your names or anything like that. But anyway, that's really not important. Um, So, you know, the British guy at the beginning told you all the really important stuff you need to know. So I'm just going to give you the basics. Uh, first, let me say welcome to the newest episode of the show. I'm excited that you're here. I also want to say that uh, there's still time for you to enter the giveaway to get those whistleblower uh, trilogy audiobooks for free. You can find that at jimheskot.com forward slash contest. And uh, we have a longer reading today so I don't want to don't want to dribble drabble too much here at the beginning. Not not a I want to cut out the jibber jabber. And so I just want to give us a little recap. Uh, I know that the last episode, last Friday, left everybody on a pretty big cliffhanger and uh, if, you, if you've already forgotten what that was because you had a whole weekend to go out and get drunk and stoned and forget all about uh, this podcast Micah went on a last ditch effort to get Magda to, um, to leave the house and so he told her that uh, Rodney and his ATF buddies were going to raid the house and it didn't even seem to affect her she didn't even really seem to care about the prospect of going being dragged away in handcuffs so Micah had an idea Uh, That involved a nail gun He went and called Frank And asked Frank to drive uh, Frank his boss and AA sponsor He asked Frank to drive up to Nederland to meet him Because Magda was going to be injured And they were going to need to get her to a hospital in Denver As quickly as possible and so today we're going to read three separate scenes. The first is a scene from Frank's perspective and then two Micah scenes. Um, so we're going to see Frank and then we're going to see Micah right where we left off with him. And then in the third and final scene is going to be Micah after that um, back at the house. So let's go ahead and get started with a reading because it's kind of a long one today. All right. Frank Mueller piloted his car through the streets of Boulder, headed for Canyon Road to begin the slow crawl along the twisty street up to Nederland. He hadn't even brushed his damn teeth this morning, but Micah had been so insistent on the timeline, he hadn't had much choice. He fiddled with the radio, jabbing the seek button every few seconds to find the next station. Too many of these college radio stations up here in Boulder. All that new crap they played that sounded like the musicians recorded in barns with tin cans... Why did every new song on the radio sound like it would fit as the soundtrack for a truck commercial? He could picture the family loading up their mountain bikes and dog into the back to race up muddy mountain roads, then cut to a surfer cutting through a wave, then cut to a mountain climber hanging on a rock, all while that jangly crap droned on in the background before the guy who talks a million miles an hour tells you all about the legal junk at the end. A car horn honked, and Frank realized he'd been dawdling at a light that had turned green. He lifted a hand to the rear view as an apology and hit the gas. Past town, he climbed up canyon, being careful on the turn since the road became real steep real quick, and some fresh snow hadn't yet melted off to join the rushing Boulder Creek. Plus, you couldn't ever count on other drivers knowing what the hell they were doing. Within a few minutes of entering the curvy road, still 20 miles from Nederland, he found himself in a caravan of slow-moving cars backed up seven or eight deep. Usually, some tourist or college freshman who'd never encountered a Colorado mountain road before, freaking out about those hairpin turns. Those wide-eyed drivers probably had no idea what the turnouts along the side of the road were for. The big festival with the frozen dead guy was coming up in a few days, so traffic was probably only going to get worse as he approached Ned. He flicked off the radio and settled in for a long commute. After enduring about ten minutes of this, Something had apparently changed up ahead, because the line of cars had separated. The cars leading the pack began to speed up one by one, and Frank readied his foot to hit the gas once it would be his turn. The car directly in front of him accelerated too quickly, back tires spinning and not catching on the slick and steep ground. Before he could do anything to get out of the way, Frank watched his own car barreling ahead as the car in front of him turned sideways, drifting toward the skimpy railing on the side of the road. His foot jerked from the gas to the brake, but too late. He couldn't stop before impact. He yanked his wheel to the left with the fleeting hope that he might swerve around the car and barely miss it. No good. They were on a direct collision course. Instead of avoiding the other car, turning the wheel put the passenger side of Frank's car on a course to smack right into the passenger side of the car ahead, with both of them skidding sideways. The last blip that ran through Frank's mind before impact was a hope that there wasn't a passenger in that car since he couldn't see into the tinted windows. That person would be crushed. When Frank slammed into the car, for a split second it felt as if he'd been lifted from the air and turned on his side, like he was in some spaceship roller coaster weightless and twisting through the air. Metal cried and screeched as the two cars became one. Glass popped, filling the air with crinkly crashing. The two cars skittered forward a few feet, and Frank managed to turn his head to see the front of the other car push through the railing on the side of the road. And then they stopped. The sounds in the area collapsed from thunderous to non-existent. The rear of Frank's car a few inches over the cliff, the nose of the other car in the same spot. Not dangling over the edge exactly, but if they'd gone a little further, they would have all slid 40 feet down to meet Boulder Creek head-on. Frank straightened his back and angled his head from side to side. No serious injuries, but his neck would hurt like hell for a few weeks. He knew that from the way he'd tensed up before it happened. Frank pushed open his car door easily since the driver's side was untouched. He tried to race around it and realized that he was hobbling. Didn't feel any pain, but he must have bumped his knee against the center console or something because he could barely walk. Not that sore knees were anything new to his body. Been fighting those for years. He reached the other car and limped around to the driver's side, then yanked open the door. Inside, he found a white, teenage girl in a state of shock. Dark hair, pretty. Skinny little thing, really. She was screaming with her hands locked onto the steering wheel. But she was alone in the car. No passenger. Miss! She stopped screaming and turned her head slowly like a zombie. Her chest heaving up and down, Frank reached out and patted her on the arm. Miss, are, are you okay? are you hurt she was silent for a few seconds chest jerking then her eyes darted around the mess of glass shards collected in her lap my dad is gonna kill me she said as tears streamed down her face he's going to be so mad frank stepped back and looked her up and down no blood no bone sticking out anywhere no eyes swollen shut from contact she was fine miss miss you need to get out of the car it's not safe she looked at him blankly, so he reached in and grabbed her by the wrist. She gawked at him, but after a couple seconds, she nodded and unhooked her seatbelt. Glass-like ice chips came tumbling out as she got to the street. She stumbled and then steadied herself against the car. I'm okay, she said. Glad to hear it. I'm gonna call that in. Micah. Shit. Frank dug into his pocket to get his cell phone and started to dial Micah. Then he realized Micah didn't have his phone on him. Frank couldn't call the hardware store either. Micah had never given him the number, and the store number he called from was always blocked. Then he realized that neither of those things mattered, because he didn't have any cell service with these high canyon walls on either side. No internet to look up the hardware store's number. Frank looked both ways on the street to make sure no cars were going to run into him. Then he slipped his phone back into his pocket. Sorry, Micah. You're on your own. Micah approached the new guy from Electrical to cover for him because his heart was racing so fast he needed to stay away from people as much as possible, and he couldn't leave tools unattended. "'Hey,' Micah said. Then he realized he didn't know the guy's name, and he was bent over doing something on the bottom shelf. His name tag wasn't visible. The guy straightened up, and Micah did his best to glance at the name tag without looking like he was glancing at the name tag. Kamal. Hey, Kamal. Yes?' "'Kamal said, his arms full of copper wire. "'Can you cover for me in tools, just for a minute?' "'Kamal winced, hesitating. "'His eyes drifted to the nail gun in Micah's hands, "'his face screwed up in confusion. "'Micah swayed on his feet, worried he might pass out, "'running out of time. "'I don't know about that,' Kamal said. "'I'm supposed to be here. Inventory is this weekend.' "'This is important,' Micah said, "'and he leaned forward on the last word, driving it home.' do me a solid. Kamal opened his mouth and some air leaked out, so Micah took this as consent. Thanks, he said, and spun on his heels before Kamal had a chance to change his mind. Micah couldn't stop himself from breathing heavily, so he took his nail gun and hid near the back of the store with a clear view of the front parking lot, panting, flushed, dizzy. If this mission wasn't over in the next five or ten minutes, he was going to barf his breakfast bagel all over the back of the store. He shifted a few inches so he could see the wall clock near the front. Any minute now, Frank was going to appear in the parking lot near the front door, and then Micah needed to act, puking or not. He'd only have a few seconds. Magda was at her station at this moment, assisting a customer. Micah would walk up to her, trip, then drive a nail into the back of her hand. Chaos would ensue. Then he would grab her, drag her to the front of the store, and toss her into Frank's car. Simple, simple risky and final when he did this he could never come back here couldn't show his face in netherland ever again he wasn't burning this bridge he was exploding it with a cluster bomb this action was kidnapping and assault and probably a lot of other illegal things he and frank might find a cop car on their tail as they made their way down canyon road toward boulder and it was the only chance he had left to save his sister Either the ATF would raid the house, or Magda would tell Lila that she knew about the impending raid. Either option was doomsday. But where the hell was Frank? Even with traffic, it shouldn't have taken him more than 90 minutes to get from Denver to Nederland, and two hours had already elapsed since the phone call. Micah could go back into the storeroom to use the phone, but then he might miss Frank at the front, or Magda might leave to go on break, and if the timing was off, the whole thing would have to be scrapped. There were too many variables, and not enough pieces in place. Micah stood idle for a few more endless minutes, staring at that front door as customers came and went and Frank's car still did not arrive. Big trucks paused out front, loading up lumber and bags of fertilizer. Men with construction hard hats sheltering their heads, jangling hammers and awls suspended from leather tool belts. Micah couldn't swallow. The lump in his throat grew so big he worried he might choke him. Plus, the insane desire for a drink to calm his nerves kept creeping up. Just a shot to coat his throat and make the anxiety retreat to something manageable. One drink. Just one drink. Which would lead to another. He had to call. He had no choice. Micah set the nail gun on a shelf and ducked into the storeroom. He dialed Frank, but it went straight to voicemail. Shit! Where the hell are you, Frank? Panic set in, and he couldn't think for a while maybe five seconds, maybe thirty. He stared at a collection of Waltz Hardware branded buckets along the back wall of the storeroom. Hundreds of buckets stacked in rows, the colors blurred. Micah blinked back into consciousness, jammed a hand into his pocket, and came out with the severed head of Boba Fett. Looks like we're on our own. Screw it. We're doing this now. He returned Boba to his pocket hiding spot and retrieved his nail gun, then set out on a course to get Magda. Having Frank as the getaway driver would have been better. Micah could have stayed in the back with Magda, pressing something over her wound to stop the bleeding and making sure she didn't jump from the car. But this would have to do. He'd have to drive her. There was no other way. He visualized himself doing this, making it happen. Visualized everything working out, despite how slim that chance seemed. All systems go. Magda was alone, organizing a display of the same Waltz hardware buckets, stacking them in a pyramid. Micah wrapped his finger on the trigger and pulled within 10 feet of her. He raised the gun a few inches, but he had to keep it low enough that when he tripped it would seem like an accident. He decided to cross his feet when he was within arm's length, which should still give him enough time to raise the gun. Her left hand was wrapped around the rim of a bucket. That's the one he would hit. Right in the center of the back of her hand, a 3-inch by 3-inch target. Micah took a deep breath and pulled within 5 feet. He lifted his right leg and planted it too far to the left then as he was about to raise his left leg micah he froze turned to find his boss walter at the end of the aisle his head tilted and a quizzical look on his face micah tried to speak but his words came out in a choking sound since his throat would barely open his eyes felt like they were bugging out of his skull what are you doing why is kamal over in the tools aisle He's supposed to be in electrical, and there are customers waiting for him. Behind Micah, a bucket dropped, and he took a step away from Magda. He couldn't turn and look at her. If she saw his face, she would know, so he had to shield himself from her. Someone else walked into the aisle behind him, and Micah could hear the tapping footfalls of dress shoes on the painted concrete. This time, he did turn because he had a sneaking suspicion of who it was and he was right. Eagle stood in the aisle in his cop uniform, handcuffs on one side and a holstered pistol on the other. In one hand, he was holding a broom with a plastic wrap still covering the bristles. Eagle rested the broom on his shoulder. Everything okay here, gentlemen. Micah held his breath as Eagle crossed the distance between them and put a hand on Micah's nail gun. He lifted it, turned it over in his hands, running his fingers along the rack of nails loaded into the chamber. Excellent. I'll take two of these. Micah sat on the front steps of 1623 Caribou Road, slumped over with his elbow on his knees. He'd left his jacket in the car, but he barely noticed the cold. His pulse still hadn't returned to a normal rate. He had failed, and now he was out of options. Any minute now, something terrible was going to happen. Either the ATF was going to come storming over that hill, arresting and or killing everyone here, or Lila was going to take Magda's proposed suggestion and kick him out. And Eagle would probably be the one to do it. He'd force Micah off the property, maybe with his service weapon drawn and pointed at Micah. Cops had a license to kill, and Eagle didn't need much of a reason if Lila gave him the okay. And what had happened to Frank? Micah had never known Frank to stand him up before for anything. Micah couldn't help but picture Frank in his house crumpled on the floor after a heart attack or a stroke. He hadn't had another chance to call him since Walter had watched Micah carefully for the rest of the day after that incident. A car rumbled along the path toward the house, and Micah watched Rodney pull into a spot next to his car and sit for a moment, eyeing Micah from inside the car, locked in a stare-down. Micah didn't often believe in signs from above, but Rodney showing up at the exact moment that Micah came to accept that he was finally out of options had to be something close to that. He had to do it. Give in and ask Rodney for help. Time to admit defeat, however painful that would feel. Rodney stepped out of his car, still eyeing Micah. He waved Rodney over. Can we talk? Somewhere private? Rodney scanned the surroundings. Sure, but I I don't know how private we can get. Is anyone home? Garrett's upstairs sleeping, and Lila is around here somewhere. I think she went into the basement. Rodney tilted his head back to his car, and Micah followed him. They got in, and Rodney turned on the car to start the heater. The radio blared some dissonant jazz for a few seconds until Rodney fumbled for the button to hush it down to whispers. Okay, Micah said. A chill ran up his back, making him shudder. Okay, what? I'll help you. I'll help you find the evidence you're looking for. I've tried everything I can think of to get Magda to leave with me, but if getting arrested in a raid is the only way to actually remove her from this place, then that's the way it has to be. Rodney chewed on this for a second. You'll be arrested too. You haven't done anything illegal, but they won't know it during the raid. I mean, you'll have to be processed with everyone else, but I don't see why they would put any charges on you. I can make sure that doesn't happen after the fact. Thank you, Micah said. When it goes down, no matter what anyone else does, you lace your hands over your head and drop to your knees. Don't look up or talk to anybody unless the agents give you specific instructions. Do that and you'll be fine. Micah thought about the ATF bursting through the front door, shouting and waving guns. If he dropped to his knees to protect himself, but Magda did something stupid, she'd catch a bullet, and he'd be unable to reach her before it happened. But if they came in and Micah rushed to Magda's side to protect her, they might both take bullets. In the chaos of a raid, anything could happen. Everyone tense, tempers flaring, the feds with their automatic weapons looking to protect themselves as much as catch the bad guys. Then, he considered what it would like to be processed again, to have his fingerprints taken and to be chained to a metal bench for hours, to wait endlessly for someone in a uniform to uncuff him and take him to the next room to wait in limbo for a while longer. Can you keep our names away from the public, at least out of the news? I I think so, Rodney said. Unless it goes to trial, then I can't promise anything. Micah sucked on his teeth. Having his name out in public put him at risk, but he barely cared about that right now. His sister's name, though, would make her a target for cartel bounty hunters who would try to use her for leverage. Maybe being in prison was actually the safest place for her, if they found something to charge her with. Can Magda get protective custody if she ends up catching charges for any of this? Rodney raised an eyebrow. Why would she need that? That was a good question and Micah didn't have a story handy that would help him avoid telling Rodney the truth. No way to hide his past. Micah sucked in a shuddering breath. He'd come this far, and now he needed to spill everything to get Rodney's protection. My name wasn't always Micah Reed. It was Michael McBriar. I was a witness for the prosecution against Luis Velasquez. Rodney tilted his head and squinted at the car's dome light above them, his face screwed up in concentration. Velasquez. Oh, oh wait, that's the guy they called El Lobo. I remember reading about that. The Sinaloa cartel trial, right? That's the one. You were the man on the inside, were you? Something like that. I was in Whitsec until last year, hiding in Denver. If people find out I'm alive and then Magda's name goes public... Rodney nodded. They might come after her. I understand, and I'll do everything I can. So, Micah said, what do we do now? Rodney looked back at the house. We have reason to believe that Lila and the others, at least Eagle, have been dealing illegal firearms. It's how they were paying for Cyrus's appeals. A new thought occurred to Micah. Let me borrow your sat phone. I don't think so, Rodney said. Micah held out his hand, come on, just for a minute. With a sigh, Rodney handed it over and Micah reclined the seat until he couldn't be seen from the house. He dialed the number. Frank, it's me. Hot damn, kid. You're not going to believe what happened to me when I was trying to meet you earlier. Sorry about that, by the way. I got in a car accident and had to get towed back to Boulder. Micah stopped short. You okay? Ah, hell, I'm fine. Neck's a little sore, but forget about that. What's up with your sister? Micah glanced up at Rodney, who was already looking impatient. I'll, I'll tell you later. Something is in the works. I gotta go, but I'll be in touch soon. Roger that, Frank said, and Micah hung up. At least that was one worry off his mind. As Rodney took the phone and slipped it under the steering column, Micah asked, What do you want me to do? Well, I can't have you directly involved with anything covert, or it will taint the case. So mostly, you'll need to act as a lookout. We've been unable to find a way to monitor her communication, so I need to install a keylogger on her computer. Can't you get her phone records or intercept her internet traffic or something? Rodney shook his head. We tried the phone route. She never talks business on it, and she's got her internet bounced through so many proxies that it's impossible to find her. We're gonna have to go old school. Key logger and surveillance camera in her bedroom. Seriously, you're gonna install a spy camera? Rodney shrugged. I get it, seems low tech. I don't have time to go into the details of my team's budget right now, but you'll have to trust me when I say that this is the best we can do. We're not dealing with high profile public enemy number one here. I get it, Micah said. Once we get that up and running, Then we'll look at getting into the basement they're always so secretive about. The weapon's cache has to be down there. I have a feeling there are booby traps on that door, so we need to be careful. Okay, Micah said. Rodney leaned in. You need to listen up. This is serious business. We're going to be executing a multi-level cloak and dagger mission, and the only reason you're included is because you're already on the inside. I need to know if you can handle the pressure and not let it go foobar on us. Michael lowered the visor to check his reddened eyes in the mirror. Rodney, I used to run with a Mexican drug cartel. I think I'll be just fine. All right, everybody, that is our reading. I know it was a long one. It was the first time I think we've read three separate scenes before. Thanks for sticking through it and the story... Is getting exciting, isn't it? And it's only going to climb and escalate from here on out. So stay tuned for the next episode of Nelgun Messiah Podcast, the most awesome podcast you have ever experienced in your life. And if you say different, I will fight you and because you know you're wrong. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this week's installment of Nailgun Messiah. Be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends about it. Don't deprive them of this show. Go to www.jimheskett.com forward slash nailgun podcast for information. And we'll see you next week.